Are you ready to go to the Word of God today? Praise God. All right. Well, we're still on the series, God's Word on Healing. This is the fifth session today, and uh, we're going to use the same master text that we uh, looked at last week. So turn to Romans chapter 4, if you will. Romans chapter 4. And when you find that, stand up with me, if you will, and let's honor the reading of God's holy word. And today we're going to talk about the faith of Abraham, continue talking about that today, I should say, since we began that last week. So here we go. Uh, Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be without weakening in his faith. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Go ahead and have a seat. Sorry, I'm a little distracted by a gunk on my my jacket here, so I hope that doesn't distract you because it's distracting me. (laughs) And as Donna, as Donna gets in the room, she will be ultra distracted by that. But you're just kind of have to overlook that today. I think my little girl's got something on. My little grandbaby's got something on my jacket. So don't be distracted by that, my love. Okay. You can't see it from that angle? Okay. Okay, good. Uh, but she'll notice things on my jacket I don't even, even, even notice myself. It's like, your jacket is so dirty. And she's, she's embarrassed by that. I'm a guy, it doesn't, doesn't uh, bother me as much, but it only bothers me because it bothers her. So anyway, all right, let's jump into this. Praise God. Well, I'm going to be kind of uh, all over the place in this teaching today, so this is not going to be my normal way of doing things. You know, I like to usually stick to uh, one path when I teach, uh, but I'm going to be going in several different directions today, so I hope this is not too distracting for you. It doesn't feel too disjointed for you today if, if I go in several different directions. Um, so let's do, first do a short review of last week's teaching since we use the same master text. So remember from last week, the things that we can learn about Abraham and his life of faith is this. He had a very close relationship with God, and that's where it all begins. Having a very close relationship with God is where it all begins. Intimacy with God. And again, this is from last week, so I'm not going to elaborate on these again at any length. 
but I want to get us kind of caught back up here. Um, likewise, he refused to consider outward circumstances, and that's so important. He refused to consider outward circumstances, but stuck to, clung to the promise that God had made to him. And his mind, therefore, was fixed on that promise. His mind was fixed on that promise. And I referenced last week John 20, 29 on that point. Uh, this is not related to Abraham, but I think this is a cross-reference here. John 20, 29, Jesus speaking to the, uh, the disciple Thomas after he had been raised from the dead. And remember, Thomas said, and when he heard the report that Jesus had been raised from the dead, well, I'm not going to believe unless I put my fingers um, in the nail scars in his hand and put my hand in the, uh, on the, the, the scar in his side. Well, and then Jesus appears just out of midair. He just materializes there in the room with the disciples. And he says this to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And that's the essence of faith. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's why we're talking about the faith of Abraham, because that's the kind of faith that Abraham had. Another point about Abraham is although Abraham's answer was a long time in coming, he did not waver. He didn't, he didn't say, oh, well, you know what? I tried that faith stuff. It didn't work. I give up. No, he, he didn't give up. He didn't waver. And let's read a, a portion of that again on that point, because I really want you to hone in on this. So against all hope, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Now, as I said last week, when we base our faith on the improvement of a physical condition or are moved by our symptoms or what we can see or feel, instead of the promises of God alone, then to that extent, ours is not real faith or strong faith. See, to be occupied with what you see or feel is to reverse the process that God lays down for us to follow, and it's exactly the opposite of what Abraham did. So that means that the promises of God, folks, not what we see or feel, has to be the basis of our faith. See, now look, Abraham was very practical. It's, it said he, did, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, but he didn't really consider that as what he was basing his faith on. So faith doesn't bury our heads in the sand and pretend that the problem doesn't exist, uh, but it does acknowledge that there's a higher truth than natural facts. It does acknowledge that there's a higher truth than natural facts. See, if we can cross-reference that to Numbers 13 and the, the people of Israel as they were preparing to go into the promised land, you know, the natural facts were that there were indeed giants in the land who were too powerful for those Israelites. That was the natural facts. But the truth was that their God was more powerful than those giants. Right? Praise God. Now let's transition here and talk about some new material this morning, some other ways, other things that we can learn from Abraham. And that's that we need to take our thoughts captive. Take our thoughts captive. And that's what Abraham had to do when he was considering the fact that his body was as good as dead. 
he, he had to take his thoughts captive and keep his mind fixed on the promises of God. Let's reference here 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5, which says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. There it is. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, there it is again, to the obedience of Christ. you got to bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. So it's very important, folks, what you allow your mind to dwell upon. See, once again, when we give our attention to the promises of God, well, Proverbs chapter 4 says that that is health to all of our flesh. But if our minds are constantly on the news or on a doctor's report or if we're listening to people bash our beliefs and healing, well, it's more difficult to develop strong faith when you're allowing those things to get into your mind and you dwell upon those things. you follow me? Okay, so it's very important what you allow your mind to dwell upon. Here's another thing that uh, I believe that is important to consider here in our life of faith, steps to walking in greater faith, is seek an atmosphere of faith. Seek an atmosphere of faith. See, a couple of weeks ago, I told you about a blind man that Jesus healed from a village called Bethsaida, the village of Bethsaida. And I want to bring him up again for two reasons. Number one, this man is the only example in Jesus's ministry where there was a progressive healing, if I could put it like that, a progressive healing. And remember, he took the man by the hand and led him out of that village where he then ministered to him. And I'm going to get to why here in a moment. But uh, the first point that I want to make was that this was a progressive healing. Jesus ministered to him once, and he opened his eyes, couldn't really see, he could see, but he couldn't see clearly yet. And then he ministered to him a second time, and that's when his vision completely cleared up um, altogether. So this was the only time in Jesus' Jesus' ministry where we see that Jesus had to minister to a person twice. So this was kind of a progressive healing. And I think, you know, Jesus had, Jesus had perfect faith. Um, but yet, in this man's case, he had to minister to him twice. So I think in our cases, if we have a physical condition and we get ministered to and prayed for and we see maybe a little bit of improvement, but not yet the full manifestation of the healing, don't panic, don't worry. Um, don't think that God's not still at work because it just may be a, an example of a progressive healing like we, what we saw with this man from Bethsaida. Now, I want to revisit that point that I made a couple of weeks ago when I first brought up the man from Bethsaida and emphasize the fact that the reason that Jesus took him by the hand, I believe, and led him out of the village before he ministered to him was because this was a village, a town that was full of unbelief. And the reason we know that is that in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Woe to you, Bethsaida! And he mentioned a couple of other towns as well. If the miracles that had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, Tyre and Sidon would have been done in you or would have been done in them, they would still remain to this day. The miracles that were done in you were performed in those other regions. They'd still exist to this day. So it was full of unbelief. So we know that based upon cross-referencing Matthew chapter 11. Uh, So Jesus took him by the hand, led him out of the town where he then had to minister to him twice because there was still enough of the town's unbelief clinging to him. 
And then when he got him fully healed, he said, don't go back into the village. Don't go back there to that atmosphere of unbelief. Because how, do you, how many of you know, sometimes people can get healed and they can lose their healing. Did you know that? Because they sink back into unbelief. And I don't have time to go off on that point today, but it's possible. I've seen people, they get healed and then they lose it for whatever reason because they're not, you know, they're not just continuing to cultivate that atmosphere of faith. So let me give you a scripture reference for this. Proverbs 12, 26. A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the ways of the wicked lead them astray. A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the ways of the wicked lead them astray. Now, I think that's such important guidance right there, to be cautious in friendship. In other words, don't be close friends with just everybody. Be careful who you hang out with, especially if there's any chance that you might be negatively influenced by them. Don't spend all your time around people like that. See, there are certain people in my circle of acquaintances that I like, fine enough, but I don't want to spend all my time with them. I'm kind of in and out, right? Uh, there are some people that make me feel like I need a bath after I'm with them for five minutes. Do you know, do you know anybody like that? <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, there's some people that even will try to shoot down your faith. Sometimes it's inadvertent. Sometimes it's on purpose. But they'll say things like this. Well, I knew a person one time who was trying to believe for healing and he died. Oh, well, thank you for sucking all the air out of my balloon. Thank you very much. Right? Here's another one. Well, Brother, you just never know what God's going to do, <laughs> right? And some of those people I cross paths with fairly often. So, you know, I've learned to be selective about what I even talk about around those people because I, I don't need their two cents in what I'm believing God for. I don't need them bursting my bubble. So you've got to guard your thoughts because your thoughts will fuel your faith. Your thoughts will fuel your faith. That's why Romans 12, 2 says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So seek out people who encourage you in your faith, not drain it. You need a faith buddy or two. Praise God. And that's why Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need to get together with people who encourage us in our faith. Here's a, another step to walking in greater faith. Uh, make sure your heart doesn't condemn you. I told you I'd, I was going to kind of be all over the place today, but these are just very uh, varied Steps to walking in greater faith. Make sure your heart does not condemn you. And here's my scriptural reference for that. 1 John 3, verses 21 through 22. Um, Brent alluded to it in his prayer, actually. Beloved, if our hearts condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. If your heart does not condemn you, then you have more confidence toward God in prayer and faith. And folks, this doesn't just have to do with avoiding sin, by the way. It also has to do with who you are in Christ or who you perceive yourself to be 
in Christ. See, if you don't have confidence toward God, listen, if you don't have confidence toward God, your heart's going to condemn you. And if your heart condemns you, you won't have confidence toward God and answered prayer. It's a vicious cycle, isn't it? So I'm going to do an entire teaching on that point um, at, at some point down the road. But, but for now, I just want you to know that you have no reason to grovel in the dust like some worm of a Christian like Satan would like for you to do. Even if you blew it terribly yesterday, you have no reason to grovel in the dust like some worm of a Christian because we have an advocate with the Father. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus. The Bible says that he is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and me. He's making intercession for you and me. Praise God. So listen, I want you to understand this. You have no ability to please God on your own. Do you know why? Because you've already smashed God's laws into a thousand pieces about a thousand times or more. You have no ability to please God in and of yourself on your own. Jesus is our righteousness. In him and through him, we are completely justified and made right with God. Praise God. See, you don't ever have to question that as long as you're pursuing him and keeping a a relationship with him. Even if you're making mistakes along the way, praise God. See, if you learn to rest in the finished work of Christ, ladies and gentlemen, then you'll have the confidence that you need that will help you to build your trust in God and his promises. Hallelujah. But listen, let me qualify that. Um, Having said that, your lifestyle does matter to God. Make no mistake. Don't think that you can go around living any way you want to and, and maintain strong faith. It doesn't work that way. And one of the things that's very big on God's priority list is learning to live in love toward one another. Because the Bible says, our faith worketh by love. Our faith worketh by love. You know, I know a lot of people who go to church and put on the plastic fantastic and they say all the right things. But behind the scenes at home, it gets kind of ugly. They cuss their spouse, they cuss the kids, they cuss the dog, and then they wonder why they can't walk in strong faith or get any results in prayer. Well, folks, one of the most important lessons you will ever learn in this life of faith is learning to love and kicking strife out of your home like the cancer that it is. And I'm, I want to say that again. One of the most important lessons you will ever learn in this life of faith is learning to kick strife out of your home and learning to live a life of love. Praise God. See, if you can't learn that very basic lesson right there, then you can forget about ever walking in strong faith. That's a true statement right there. If your life is just full of turmoil all the time, if your home is full of fighting and arguing and strife all the time, you can forget it. You can forget ever walking in strong faith because your faith worketh by love. God is love. And those who live in God will likewise live in love. Hallelujah. And look, on a related point, did you know that medical science has also proven that, that, there, that some emotional issues can actually lead to physical ailments? 
That's true. See, your heart has to be at peace with yourself and also the other people around you. So then, I think it's so important that we resolve toxic emotions. That we resolve toxic emotions. Now, I think that this part might not be, this slide might not be in your notes. I think I added this uh, last night after the printing of the bulletin. So I don't think this is your notes. So, but you might want to make note of this, of this uh, passage right here. Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Now, I, I looked up a couple of those words in the, uh, the ancient Hebrew, and I learned something about this. So that word envy is the word kina, and it means ardor, zeal, jealousy, strong negative passion or energy. Strong negative passion or energy. And that word bone is the Hebrew word estem, and it means bone, substance, self, representing at times the entire person. So we could almost just as easily translate this, uh, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but strong negative passion or energy rots the entire person. Wow. Wow. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but strong, negative, unresolved emotions can decay the body over time. And this is what I believe happened to my mother, by the way. My mother, who's uh, deceased now, she was a a very intelligent woman, but she developed Alzheimer's disease. And uh, fairly soon into the process, it robbed her of her very eloquent speech, um, and it just so happens that my mother carried around um, some very strong bitterness that literally overtook her life and dominated her conversations and much of the motivation in her life and directed much of the decisions that she made. In fact, this was the way she lived for more than 40 years. It just absolutely dominated every aspect of her life the bitterness that she had toward this one person. And she never did get it resolved until she learned that she had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And then at that point, she made some efforts to get it made right and get it resolved with that person that all that bitterness was directed toward. But by that time, the the damage was already done. She continued to decline until she passed away in 2015. So this is no laughing matter, folks. I believe that, that striving to be at peace with everyone, so long as it depends on you. Now, I realize there are some people that don't want to be at peace with you. But striving to be at peace with everyone, so long as it depends on you, is a very, very important part of staying healthy. I believe that. And Proverbs 14.30 speaks to that very point, doesn't it? All right. Now, let's get back to Abraham. So another point about Abraham is uh, that our speech should agree with what we're believing for. We can learn that from Abraham as well. Not from the passage that I just read you a moment ago, but I'm going to allude to a different passage here in a moment. Um, Our speech should agree with what we're believing for. See, this is what, what Abraham did. And maybe you didn't realize this about Abraham, but God had to line up his speech and his perception of himself with what he was believing for. I'm going to say that again. God had to line up Abraham's speech 
and his perception of himself with what he was believing for. Let me give you a scriptural reference for that. This is out of Genesis 17, verses 4 and 5. Um, it says, as for me, this is God speaking to Abraham, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. Now, I find it interesting that 24 years had gone by from the time that God first made the promise of a son to Abraham and Sarah to this point where God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, meaning the father of a multitude or the father of many nations. And then after that name change, boom, within a year, Sarah was pregnant with Isaac. Well, why was that? Well, I believe that that proclamation over himself, father of many nations, father of a multitude, that was being proclaimed over him every time someone called his name. He was being reminded, I'm the father of many nations. So it changed his perception of himself. And every time he spoke his name, he was declaring what God had promised over himself. I'm the father of many nations. I'm the father of a multitude. Yeah, I don't have it in the physical yet, but I am the father of a multitude. Every time he said his name. So do words matter? And does our perception of ourselves matter? I think it does. Why else would God have done this? I mean, God doesn't do things just arbitrarily, folks, does he? Everything that he does always has a purpose, doesn't it? So instead of saying things like this, well, I'm trusting God to heal me, but I'm just so sick and exhausted all the time. Why don't we change that to something like, uh, in spite of the way things look right now, I know the healing power of God is at work in my body right now, and I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. Yes. Declare the word of God over yourself. Not what you have, what you are believing for. Praise God. You know, I've noticed that some people's favorite topic of discussion is all of their illnesses. And folks, that's not going to get you healed anytime soon. That's not going to get you healed anytime soon. Make your favorite subject the promises of God. It reminds me of a scene in that Christmas movie, Elf. Who, who of you have seen Elf? Again, I love Elf. That's a very, I don't recommend many movies because most aren't family-friendly. That's a very family-friendly movie. <clears throat> For those of you that saw that movie, remember when um, he was first uh, started visiting that store, uh, was it Gimbel's, Gimbel's Christmas store? And he was dressed, you know, of course, in his elf garb. And he was smiling real big. And the manager, the manager there said, why are you smiling? He said, I love smiling. It's my favorite. And the boss said, uh, work's your favorite. Make work your favorite. Remember that? So I'd like to say that to some people sometime. Make the promises of God your favorite. Make that your new favorite. Praise God. Hallelujah. See, Romans 8.10 says that the word of God is in your heart and your mouth. Actually, I, I reversed the process on how it's actually written in the scriptures. The word of God is in your mouth and in your heart is the way that it says it. So that means that the word of God should not just be in our eyes when we read it. It should be also in our mouths. 
We should be declaring the Word of God. Did you know that ancient Israelites, when they read the Scriptures, they would actually read it aloud? That they were proclaiming the Word of God out of their mouths so that they were not just getting understanding from the eye gate, but also the ear gate as well. Now, I'm not going to elaborate on that point right now because I'm going to, that's just a little primer for a, a whole teaching that I'm going to do on that later. But I will say, I will say this much, that Galatians 5.1 tells us to imitate God in everything. So then, how does God behave and how does he talk? Well, let me give you another scripture reference on that point. Romans 4.17, the back half of that, Romans 4.17b says, God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which are not as though they were. Praise the Lord. So if God talks that way, maybe we should too. See, God always has always talked about in the present tense um, things that have not yet even happened in the natural yet. I'm going to say that again. God has always talked about in the present tense things that haven't even materialized in the present yet. So God always talks the language of faith, ladies and gentlemen, and maybe we should too. You agree with that? Okay, so again, I told you I'm going to go in several different directions today, so I want to switch gears here and talk about medical intervention for a second. What about medical intervention? Um, You know, we're not against medical intervention around here. You know, if there's something that a doctor can do for you, by all means, go do it. You know, there's no shame in that. Oftentimes, God uses doctors to administer the answer sometimes. You know, God gave the world medical science, folks. He gave that to the world. And and he gave that to the world to be able to deal with uh, many of the diseases and dysfunctions that mankind is faced with. But we also know... Listen, that medicine can only go so far, and in many cases it even does harm, depending on what kind of medicine you're using. And there's many things that medicine has no answers to at all. But we have a great physician, and his prescriptions are always safe, and they're always the best. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hey, listen, if you need an injection of something, get an injection of the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Yeah, hallelujah. If you need an inoculation of something, get inoculated with the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Now, now, I like to back up all my teaching points with the Bible, of course, but I couldn't find a, a reference in the Bible that mentioned doctors in that context. But I did find a place where some instructions were given regarding the the caring of an ailment. So let me get that to you here real quick. It's out of 1 Timothy 5, verse 23. It says, and this is uh, the Apostle Paul's instructions to his understudy, the young pastor Timothy. And he says, stop drinking only water and use a little wine instead because of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So on that point, I want to point out that Timothy was a young pastor and Paul was his overseer and his mentor. And Timothy you know, he was probably on his own journey of faith. And and Paul said, hey, look, for now, why don't you just go ahead and do something medicinal for yourself right now? And it's not clear why Paul would have given Timothy this instruction, but it's been speculated that maybe the water supply back then wasn't as clean as what we have today. 
And I think that's a, that's a pretty safe assumption, maybe. So maybe Timothy had some trouble in his stomach with, with the organisms in the water. And Paul told him to take a, a little wine instead once in a while. Emphasis on the word, a little wine. Okay? <laughs> and, 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 and by the way, the wine back then wasn't full of chemicals and pesticides and, and preservatives like what we have today. So it may have had some, some nice medicinal qualities to it. So again, I'm all, I'm all for doing something medicinal for yourself uh, while you're growing in your faith. You know, there's, a, <clears throat> there's not a thing wrong with that, folks. Not, there's not a thing wrong with that. But rem- remember, doctors are not the ultimate authority. Doctors are not the, not the ultimate authority. See, if you get a diagnosis of death... Uh, for example, God forbid, but the doctor who gave you that diagnosis is not the ultimate authority. See, because all disease has to bow its knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ. God's word is the ultimate authority. Praise God. And since we're on this subject of medicinal support, let me uh, bring something else to your attention that's kind of related to that point. This is Proverbs 23, verses 1 through 3. Let me read this to you, and then I'm going to elaborate on what this means. Uh, When you sit to dine with a ruler, consider carefully what is set before you, and put a knife to your throat if you possess a great appetite. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Okay, now, what in the world does that mean? Okay, so when this was written by King Solomon about 4,000 years ago in the, the Middle East... At this time, it was only the rulers and the dignitaries and very rich that ate all these very rich and refined foods. But the commoners, they ate you know, whole grains and fruits and vegetables and wild game that they grew and hunted themselves. So back then, there was uh, uh, the, the, the rulers and the dignitaries and the rich got diseases that became known as the diseases of kings and queens. The diseases of kings and queens, what were they? Heart disease, arthritis, cancer, tumors of various sorts, obesity, etc. Those are the number one killers in America today. I mean, arthritis doesn't kill people, but it certainly does make them decrepit. But heart disease, cancer, uh, diabetes was another one. They, they got all those things back then. The rich and the, and the wealthy got all those things back then. Today we have a whole nation of people that eat very rich and refined foods. So now we have a whole nation of people that suffer from the diseases of kings and queens. So I do believe that we need to take care of ourselves, folks, and be wise about what we eat and drink. You know, it, God cares about his temple, your body, because it's the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. See, we, we ought not to be subjecting ourselves to bad habits and gluttony and things that are harmful to us on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, I want to give you another scriptural reference on that point. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20 says this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your body. And and likewise, Romans 6 goes on to tell us that we should not be mastered by anything. 
We should not be mastered by anything. But lots of people today, even in the church, have various addictions, especially food addictions, which is another reason why God tells us to fast, by the way. See, fasting is good for you, spirit, soul, and body, and it will help to break some of those addictions, praise God. So again, listen, it's godly, it's a godly thing to take care of yourself. See, you don't have to be a fitness guru or anything like that. But you know, listen, really important point right here. It's tougher to believe God for healing when you're violating your temple all the time with your various bad lifestyle choices. I'm going to say that again. It's tougher, folks, to believe for healing when you're abusing your body and violating your temple all the time with your various bad lifestyle choices. See, it's good to live in such a way as to not need a miracle all the time. Because you're already living in the blessing. You're already constantly living in the blessing because you're caring for God's temple, your body. I can tell you're all really enthusiastic about that point. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Doesn't that make sense, though? You want to live in such a way that you don't need to have a major miracle all the time to, to have God bail you out of a major crisis, right? And hey, I'm not against desserts and fast food and, and things of that nature and occasional indulgences once in a while that are maybe not so healthy, but doing that day in and day out is not going to turn out well for most people most of the time if you do that year after year after year like that. So you've got to use some wisdom in how you care for your body, just like Daniel and his three companions when they were sent off to Babylonian exile. If you've re- read the book of Daniel, you probably already know this account that I'm about to share with you. See, those four young men were, were sent off to Babylonian exile, and there they were placed in the king's royal service where they were given the king's rich foods to eat and wine to drink. And they made a request when that was presented to them. They said, hey, look, uh, let us take vegetables and water only for 10 days while the other attendants take the king's food and wine And let's see who seems healthier after 10 days. And the Bible records that Daniel and his friends were brighter and more energetic in appearance than the other attendants who feasted on the king's food and wine for that period of time. By the way, if you want some help um, along those lines in uh, getting your body healthier and learning how to take care of your temple better, well, I know that uh, Dr. Trevor and uh, his wife Jessica uh, right here toward the front would be happy to provide some guidance for you in their clinic uh, because they, they practice a more holistic style of medicine. So if that's something that interests you, raise your hand, Dr. Trevor and Jessica. Uh, Jessica, you're a RN or, or nurse practitioner. I can't remember. You're an RN. And uh, so they're both very, uh, very well read and, and uh, you know, they're very well versed and more holistic and integrative styles of medicine. So that might be something you might want to check out. They're over in North Vernon, not that far away. So if you want to talk to them after the service, that would be just fine. But let me start to bring this to a close right now. Um, Again, switching gears for uh, closing this down here before we go to a testimony. Um, I I want to read Matthew 8, verses 16 and 17 to you real quick, and then then elaborate on why I'm closing with this. Um, When evening came... Many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all 
the sick, not some of the sick, all the sick. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the, through the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Praise God. Hallelujah. So the point that I want to make with that is that in case you were wondering, healing is not just an Old Testament concept. You know, at the, the end of the service last week, I shared several scriptures with you to help you to build your faith for healing. And it just so happened that all of those were out of the Old Testament. However, I want to emphasize as we close here that uh, healing is not just an Old Testament concept. It's also a New Testament concept because healing is all through the Gospels and it's all through Jesus' ministry and it's all through the book of Acts. So let me ask this question. Did Jesus heal just to prove that he was God in flesh? That was part of it, but no, that, that's not the only reason. He did it because he loves people. He loves people, and also to fulfill what we see here that was prophesied in the book of Isaiah. And also, another thing that Brent brought up in his prayer that I'll also um, just touch on here before we uh, go to our testimony, is that Jesus also said, the things that you have seen me do, you will do also, and even greater things than these because I go to the Father. Now, if that statement isn't true, we've got a big problem. So the problem is most people say, eh, I don't know, they brush over that, they read over that, and then just go right on to the next thing and not really meditate on that and go, wait a minute, is this for me? Is this for us? Is this for now? If so, maybe I need to be applying some faith in this so that I can learn to walk in these things. Praise God. All right, so I'm going to bring up uh, Bill and Kim Frank for a moment, and they're going to give uh, a healing testimony of their own. I'd like to end uh, all these teachings I'm doing in this series with a testimony. So Bill and Kim, come on up. Where, where are you? I know, Bill, you're way back there in the sound booth, so I'll give you a minute to get down here. All right, there you go. Um, I know probably a lot of you have heard my testimony uh, about how I was healed. Uh, actually, it was exactly a year ago today. And um, I had a frozen shoulder. Uh, my family has a history of arthritis. And I'm one of those crazy people that thought, I'm doomed. This runs in my family. I, okay, I've got it. And I've had two hip replacements. I mean, it's, there is evidence that I had arthritis. But um, I was in a bad car accident, so I mean, I had gone to a orthopedic surgeon and he said, yeah, you're a good candidate for shoulder replacement. The problem is you're too young. I, I liked him for that part. So, but anyway, <laughs> um, other than that, you know, I thought, okay, I just have to live with this. And actually it was just shortly before we started attending here that I was in so much pain I couldn't hardly sleep. I, I mean, I could not move my arm above my shoulder. Well, I don't know if y'all know me or not, but I can move my arm above my head. Way above my head. Yeah. Okay, so, so it, it's amazing what God is, has done. And I mean, he took care of it already. Um, but I'd like to do a little Paul Harvey. I know some of you might not know, know that, but the rest of the story is, is that, the devil attacked me after that. 
He did not want me to be healthy and whole. And so shortly after that, then I'd hurt my back. Now, I feel like my husband has the gift of healing. And I asked him to lay hands on me and pray over me. And immediately, well, let me just back up just a little bit. Okay, so I've, I've had two back surgeries. So this, this hurt, I, I was trying to lift a case of paper, which is, I know, dumb. <laughs> so so not, not my brightest moment. Uh, so so I, it, immediately I felt the sciatic pain radiate down my leg. And it's like, I'm very familiar with this. I've, I've had it before both my back surgeries. So I knew, I had no doubt what it was. But I asked him to, to lay hands on my back, to pray over me, and he did. And immediately, I mean immediately it was gone. Praise God. And uh, yes, woo. yes. Uh, and, and so I was like, yeah. Well, so I guess just needed some more, more testing because then I got a growth. And it, it suddenly appeared. Never had anything like this before. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to call my dermatologist, try and get in. It was months out before I could get in. So I'm like, okay, no. Hold your mic. Oh, sorry. Uh, and, and so I, I asked Bill to take a picture of it, and I did a teledoc thing. Well, this doctor's going, no, no, you cannot wait months. That looks cancerous. And I was like, okay. Well, you know, it's a teledoc. You know, what do they know? What can they see in a picture that we sent? You know, we might not have got a good photo. So we went, uh, well, no. Then I tried to call the dermatologist to see if I could get in a little sooner. And they're like, okay, well, we can't get you to your normal doctor, but this other doctor can get you in in a few months. And I'm like, okay. Oh, I mean, it, like, cut the months in half. So it was like, all right, well... I wasn't too happy with going with somebody I didn't know really. And so I called my doctor's office, my regular physician. I was like, okay, can you get me in? Yep, and she got me in pretty fast. So she looked at it, she looked at the picture, and she's like, oh no, she goes, this has changed too much. The size, the color, this is cancerous. And it's like, you need to get into your dermatologist, get this removed. And it's like, Great, you could just cut it off. And she's like, no, no, if I don't get it all, she said, it's not going to be good. And I'm like, all right, all right, so. Did the battery die? I don't know what it is with that, that, that particular uh, microphone. It seems to be burning up these batteries pretty quickly. Okay, there you go. Okay. Well, so then... Long story short was that I uh, got into the dermatologist. They cut it out. A couple of weeks later, they gave me the results. After somebody had prayed for me again, and he, he said, there is no cancer in your body. And the results confirmed that, of course. And praise God. Now, I know I don't like to come up here and talk and everything, and I'm awful talkative today, but I'm so excited because these teachings have been awesome. And last week was a wow moment for me. <laughs> so I don't know if I got, I know I didn't get to catch you all, but I brought in these papers that I had done an Isaiah study 
that personalized Isaiah for us. And uh, after doing the Holman, seeing the Holman translation, I ha- was not familiar with that. I looked up, I'm a geek, guys, I'm sorry, but I looked up the, the Hebrew wording for grief and how rich it is in the Hebrew. Our English version does not compare. And this is just a little way to go through and to, to just try and get you to personalize it. Put your name in these blanks and then just read through it. Read through it a few times. Let me just show you. I can get my papers apart because I did it bigger. I need help, guys. So, so much help. It's bad. Okay, so I got bigger. Um, so this is just verses 3 through 5. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised, and Kim didn't value him. I started crying, I'm sorry. And he himself bore Kim's sicknesses, and he carried Kim's pains. But Kim, in turn, regarded him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced because of Kim's transgressions, crushed because of Kim's iniquities, punished for Kim's peace was on him, and Kim was healed by his wounds. And he already took care of this. I have no sicknesses. I have no diseases. I am saved and completely healed. And God doesn't love me any more than he does you. And so you all are too. I mean, it is, it is just, it is ours for the taking. So, yes. Um, I just wanted to add to that uh, regarding the when we were going through uh, the, the cancer scare there. Um, I, I don't know if I read this somewhere or somebody told me this, but one thing that just just was ingrained in my mind was, okay, cancer is a little C, Christ, big C. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Okay, yeah, thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. God is still a healer. And, uh, you know, for those people that say that healing has passed away, you're not going to be able to convince anybody of that that's already experienced it. Just impossible. Oh, praise God. Okay, those are going to be back in the back if anybody wants it. Praise God. Thank you for doing that, Kim. That's, that's wonderful. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.